Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. The verses we've been looking at, and we've kind of hung our hat in, in Ephesians 2, 20 and 21, says this, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fit together grows into a holy temple unto the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And we've kind of keyed in on verse 22, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of, the, of God in the Spirit. And I have in, I put in writing underneath that scripture for me, I put my destiny. It's my destiny to be the dwelling place of Christ. It's my destiny to be God's habitation. That's how God intended it to be, folks, from the very beginning. And we've looked at this in different passages in different ways. We talked a little bit last week about out of Galatians about being crucified with Christ and what that means and, and that it's not I that lives but Christ that lives in me and I live that life by faith and in faith believing that Christ is in me. I live my life in faith of that. Not by faith of that, in the faith of that, that Christ is in me. And so we're going to look again this morning at another real familiar portion of scripture one you all know one I'm sure that you've you've quoted and and used at times go to the book of Colossians and we're going to look at um, verse 26 and 27 of Colossians 1 and it says this the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed, look at that again, God did what? He willed this. We talked about this last week, that this is the will of God. This is the will of God for us. It's for him to manifest in us and to be manifested through us. That's his will. To make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So as I looked at this, I, I, uh, the, the word, there's, it's, there's, it, it's mentioned once in verse 26 and then once again in 27. And that's the word mystery. Now, in the Amplified, verse 27 says this, God, in his eternal plan, chose to make known to them how great for the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you and among you, the hope and guarantee of realizing the glory. Wow. The Weymouth said, to whom it was his will to make known how vast a wealth of glory for the Gentile world is implied in the truth, the truth that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. 
The New Living Translation says, For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Those are great scriptures. And, and, and they're great ways. That it, it gives us a great understanding about, again, about what Christ, how we're supposed to live and how we can live. And, and the, the exceeding greatness of this, this simple phrase, Christ in you. Christ in you. We look at the, at the word mystery, and when we think of mystery in, in, in our way of thinking, uh, in modern, modern thinking, modern idea, we think of mystery as something that has no answer, no solution, something that is dark and difficult. But that is not what mystery means here. This, the, the word that's mentioned here, it's mentioned, uh, I think I, I read 26 times in the New Testament, this word mystery. And the word is mysterion, M-U-S-T-E-R-I-O-N. It means this, a matter of knowledge of which initiation is necessary. In other words, it's, it's a word of knowledge that you have to be initiated to. Best way I can think about this is uh, when I was in college, I was a frat boy. Went to got uh, I was in a fraternity. Well, in order to get into this fraternity, when you're a pledge, there were certain things that you didn't know. Like I forget ours; it was like a a, a number sequence, and we're like, "Well, what that? What's that mean?" And the answer given to us was, "You can't find out until you're a member." So when you, when you become a member, uh, including all the stupidity that they make you go through to do this, um, you go through this rite of initiation. And when they initiated you, they would whisper in your ear what that number sequence meant or what there was some phrase and sometimes, but I didn't, I, I wasn't privy to that knowledge until I got initiated into this fraternity. Then I knew what they were talking about. So it's, it's a knowledge of which initiation is necessary. It's a secret that is revealed through revelation. A secret that is revealed through revelation. It's a concealed power or principle. A concealed power or principle. A truth undiscovered except through divine revelation. Only revealed to those that reach an area or level of understanding. In the Bible, and this word means, basically, it means those truths which are a part of God's plan and can only be understood as he reveals him by his spirit through his word. Truth previously hidden. Which when revealed is understand by the believer. In other words, it's a, it's a, it's a secret purpose of God 
which when uncovered is understood by the spirit-led, spirit-filled believer. That's one reason why it is so important. Now, we all know that, that it's not a saving grace, but this is why it is so important. This is why the baptism of the Holy Spirit is so important. This is why it is so important. Can you get to heaven without, without it? Of course you can. But there will be things in this word that you will not be able to grasp and understand because what did, what did Jesus say when he, told his, uh, when he was talking to the disciples about the Holy Spirit? When he, he said, when he comes, he's going to reveal to you some truth. No, that's not what he said. He said he's going to reveal to you all truth. And so without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we don't have the capacity. The Holy Spirit is what reveals these things through us. And so we have to understand that, that we, some of this stuff is only comes to us if we're a spirit-led, spirit-taught, spirit-filled believer. There are people who sit in church for years and never get to into the truths of, of, of what's for us. Because of their own spiritual immaturity and because they have leadership that refuses to teach this to them. Yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think, well, maybe some of you do. I don't think you understand how, what a great privilege we have here of getting this Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Wednesday night after Wednesday night, getting the, getting the truth of this word instilled in us. Not every church gets that. Sorry, I wished it wasn't that way, but that's the truth. Not every church, not every... Uh, I'll stop there. It refers to truth which without revelation remains unknown. Vincent describes Mysterian as that which is kept hidden from the world until revealed at the appointed time, and which is a secret to ordinary eyes, but is made known by divine revelation. So this, you can't just, without revelation, without the Holy Spirit revealing this, you cannot understand this. You cannot grasp it. You may, you may grasp some of the simple truths, elementary truths, but you can't take a first grader and teach him calculus. You can't. You can't take a first grader and teach them uh, the Pythagorean theory. You can't teach them that because they don't have the capacity. Now, you can teach them one plus one is two, two plus two is four, because that's the level of their ability to understand. I remember when, <laughs> when I went to college. I was a goofball in high school. And uh, so me and two of my buddies were you know, going to college. So we decided we're going to take a chemistry course. And it said that it required, you know, high school chemistry. Well, we took chemistry in high school, but, you know. And we, we got in there the first day of class. 
And that dude got up there and started writing things across that blackboard. And I was like, oh, my goodness, what is he doing? And I looked over at my buddy and said, yeah, I'm dropping this class. (laughs) Because I wasn't ready for it. So what did I have to do? I had to go back, and I had to take a lower-level chemistry class, one that made sense, somewhat sense to me anyway, before I could go into really what I needed to learn. And we have to understand, there, there's a, there's a, a phrase that, that, that's used in the Word of God, line upon line, precept upon precept. That's the process you build. That's how you build, line by line, precept by precept when it comes to spiritual things. So this word mystery, I don't know why the Lord had me spend so much time on this word, but, you know, we... we I, we, 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 we really emphasize, unless you don't know, unless you've been hiding under a rock somewhere, we place a, a lot of emphasis on the Ephesians prayers. Why do we do that? Why do we, do the, why do we put so much emphasis on the Ephesians prayers? Well, I read something that really started, <laughs> it went, poof, you know, light bulb went on. And, and, I want to read something. Again, go, go to Ephesians chapter 3. And this is what Paul said, setting the basis for these Ephesian prayers. And setting the reason why he prayed the way he was praying through these prayers. Verse 3 says this. Well, let's start at verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of grace which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he has made known to me the what? Mystery. As I have briefly written already. So what was Paul doing in instituting and writing these Ephesians prayers? Why is it so important for us to pray these Ephesian prayers? They are prayers that bring us into a higher level where the mysteries are revealed to us. I'm going to say that again. They bring us into a level where the mysteries can begin to be revealed to us. Read them again. Listen to this prayer. If you, if, you, if, you, if you keep that in your thinking, that it brings you into a level where you're, when you're praying these, these Ephesians prayers, you're ask, actually asking God to reveal the mystery to you, the knowledge, to open the knowledge to you, the knowledge that in, in Ephesians uh, 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the what? The spirit of wisdom. You're asking for the mystery of wisdom, the knowledge of wisdom. That he would give you revelation in the knowledge of him. There it is right there. Plain, plain that you have revelation of the knowledge, the mystery that is, that is in him. The knowledge, the understanding, the power, the concealed power. That the eyes of your understanding may be open. 
enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance and saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. According, so, so, so all this, Paul's praying this Ephesians prayer, it is, that's what he's doing. He's praying that God would give us and open the mysteries to us. Open the understanding. Same thing in Ephesians 3. You read that prayer. He's doing the very same thing. That he would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, can comprehend, comprehend, understand, know what it's saying. With all the saints, what is the width, the height, the length, the depth, and the height? To know the love of Christ, which passes all understanding, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So when you, when, when, when you, Paul, Paul was talking about, he wasn't, now, you got to remember, and, uh, we were talking about this on the way out to training yesterday, uh, Terry and I were, about, you know, Paul spent most of his, if you, if you go back and you read these epistles, Paul spent a lot of his time trying to correct something that the Jewish, the, the, the Jude, they, were, they were a group of people called the Judaizers, and they were always trying, no matter whether it was Galatians no matter whether it was Ephesus, the church at, at Colossae, the, any of these churches, Paul was having to deal with this thing about the Judaizers trying to drag the truth of the new covenant back into the old covenant and put it back into the old covenant stipulations and regulations. He fought this constantly. When Paul uh, did the scripture and wrote the scripture that we talked about last week, he was dealing with this. this. If you go back and you read, he, it, the, he, this was when he was in conflict with Peter. And he had confronted Peter about them trying to get uh, the Jews, uh, the, the new believers, to come back under the, 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 the things of the old covenant. And he spent a lot of time doing this. So, and, but this mystery was not just the fact that the Gentiles... We're going to get saved. That was, that was not a New Testament uh, revelation. It wasn't. It was the Old Testament. You, you can go back into the Old Testament, and it was part of the prophetic message of the Old Testament that the Gentiles would be saved. Go back. You can read it, and I'll give you some scriptures. We're not going to take time to go through them. But you can read Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. Isaiah 60, 1 through 3, and Micah 4, 8. These are all scriptures that, that show that, that the Gentiles being saved was not a New Testament. It was, it was an Old Testament, part of the Old Testament prophetic message. But what Paul was talking about, the mystery, that, that the secret was this that God had created and was going to create a new dispensation. A dispensation to redeem Gentiles and Jews apart 
from Israel's religious program. It was going to be outside of, 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 of the rites, everything that, that Israel was trying to incorporate and Judaizers were trying to incorporate back into the message of the gospel. And so he was, he was trying to be, he was, what he was saying, and the, the, the secret was simply this, that, that this new dispensation was not going to be anchored in a set of rules and regulations. But it was going to be anchored and based on fellowship and relationship with God. Christ in you. And it, uh, John 1, 2.20, and, and uh, 1 John 2.20. And this is scripture, uh, we've, we've heard this scripture time and time again. And the first time that it really started uh, uh, really resonating in my spirit was when Miss Leanne was here. And she, she brought this up in, in, with the scripture in John, which John said what? About the Holy Spirit. You know him. You know him. Now see, we can't, we can't get to the point to where we, we get this idea that God is purposely withholding things from us. That God is purposely not showing us things. On purpose. Trying to keep things from us. Because what does 1 John 2.20 say? It says this in the Amplified Bible. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. You have been set apart, specially gifted and prepared by the Holy Spirit. And all of you know the truth because he teaches us, illuminates our minds, and guards us from error. The King James says, you know all things. So if you have that mindset that God's hiding things from you, then you're not, you're not, you're not tracking with this scripture in 1 John, which says, no, that's not the case. You know all things. Because you know him. Boy, some of you are looking at me really funny. It's the truth, though. It's the truth. You know the Holy Spirit. Christ in you. That means you know him. Now, I may not understand it right at that moment. In a situation what I need to do, but you know what I can say? I can say, Holy Spirit, you know, and because you know, I know. Oh, come on. You, get, you got, you, this has to get hammered into your spirit. Hammered into your spirit. That it doesn't matter what you know, what you face, what your circumstance, does not matter. You know him. You know the Holy Spirit. And because you know the Holy Spirit, you know that there is a solution. There is an answer. Nothing is hidden from you. So we have to understand. And Romans 11.25, they both speak to, to this revelation to the Gentiles. It's not God's plan to keep things hidden from you and I. Now, there may, be, there may be reasons for it. Maybe we're not mature enough yet, and we haven't reached a place of maturity in Christ yet where he can reveal it to us. 
Or maybe it's not the season for that to be revealed to us. That happens. When it's not a season that God, God chooses in a certain season of our life. Have you ever, have you ever been to that place? Where you're getting, you're getting revelation so quick and so fast, you, you're like, ho, ho. And, you're, and you're, uh, in, in your spirit, your head's just spinning. Because you're receiving so much that you can't, it's hard to keep up with it. And then there's other seasons where you're like, you know. But God knows that. See, God's got seasons. He's got times and seasons set. Revival. Moves of God have been what? They're manifestations of him. him. His manifestations of his presence, manifestations of his power, but he has chosen set times for those things. Now, it would, have done, it would not have done any good for Jesus or the Old, the Old Testament to start talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because that dispensation that, that revelation was not ready to be made yet. They could not started talking about God in you. Because what? What was, what was their mindset? No, God's not there. He's where? He's in the temple. He's in the Holy of Holies there. But when the time came and the time was right, and when, when, when Jesus came, it was that time for that dispensation, that truth to start being revealed. How am I doing on time? Not very good. Let's move on. He says, Christ in you. We've talked about this so much, but a couple of quotes. G. Campbell Morgan said, Christ in me is the most certain thing in my personal experience. He is present in my inner life so that I have not to ascend to heaven to find him or descend into the depths to bring him up. Neither have I to go on long pilgrimages to reach him. Amid the hurry and rush of the day, Christ is within. John Walford said this, The importance of the indwelling presence of Christ has been generally overlooked in theology. It should be reinstated as a vital Christian truth. It is the proper ground for a victorious Christian experience and is the proper link between the historic Christ of the past and the Christ who has seated on the throne of God in the present and in the future. A Christian should enter by faith into the full reality of the fact that Christ is within him and is present to provide not only eternal life, but strength and hope of glory. Wow. Wow. It conveys the understanding that Christ is not the subject of faith. You understand that? Christ is not the subject of faith. Christ is the environment in which we activate our faith. Some of you are going like this at me like, like, like my dog does when he can't figure it out. You know? Our faith, faith is it's, it's in Christ, but it's, it's not, how do I explain this? Help me, Jesus. Christ is the environment in which we activate our faith. What am I saying? That means because we live, he lives in us, the essence of who he is, the essence of what he is, the essence of what he has done, that's what activates our faith. 
That's what causes our faith. We look at this book and we read, by, our, by your, his stripes we are healed. So what is it? That's the healing essence of Christ. That's what we put our faith in. That's what our faith is rooted and grounded in. And so we have to, it can be easy to understand that Christ is not the subject of faith, but the environment by which we activate our faith. Believing is done within the reality of Christ. Faith and belief comes within the reality of Christ. The reality of who he is, what he is in full, open revelation. So that's what we're doing. That's, that, that's what we talk about Christ being the environment in which we, are, we activate our faith. It's because we look at these things. We look at who he is. We look at what he says. We look at the reality that he's in us, and it activates, and it activates our faith. So we can say, Lord, you said this. That's the reality. I used to have people telling me, when we were, my first wife, when we were praying for her healing. And uh, she would aggravate me to no end. Because she would tell me, you have to face reality. And I had other people tell me that, you've got to face reality. And I did, I, you know what I would tell them? I am facing the reality. I'm facing the reality that Jesus told me that this sickness was not unto death, but that the Son of God would be glorified and the Father glorified through him. You see, we, we get this reality thing all cattywampus. This is our reality right here. This is what we base everything off of. This is our faith that's not based in circumstance. It's not based on emotion. It's not based on what we see. It's based on what this book says to us. This is the reality of Christ right here. You read this book, you get yourself into this book, you're going to understand that. You're going to understand the mystery is going to start to be revealed to you, the reality of who he is. That's not even in my notes, but it was good. Christ in me is the most certain thing in our spiritual experience. Christ in me is the most certain thing in my experience. Salvation is important. Absolutely. You don't get to be, you ain't even getting out of home plate, off of home plate if you don't have, if you don't understand salvation. But the most certain thing for our spiritual maturity is understanding this Christ in you. The depth of our experience, our spiritual experience, has a direct proportion to our understanding and acceptance of the fact, this fact. How far you get in Christ, how deep you go into Christ, is in proportion to how much this truth gets into your spirit. You see, you see people that do things, you know, and I've got book after book, biography after biography of people of God that did things that just make you go, what in the world? How did they do that? 
How did they walk at that level? Men like William Branham, that, that, that every time he, he prayed for somebody, he had already seen in a vision what was wrong with them. I mean, this dude, down to the point of where he could tell them where they lived, what color their house was, what the furniture looked like inside their house. I'm serious. And you look at that stuff, and, and, and you're just like, <laughs> how, did, how did they get to this place? Because they got to a depth of understanding of this very simple thing, Christ in you. They understood it. They had a, 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 a high level of understanding what that meant to have Christ in them and Christ working through them. I don't have to go to heaven to find him. <laughs> I don't. I don't have to, I don't have to make it, I don't have to go to heaven to find him. I don't have to come to church to find him. As important as church is, I don't have to come to church to find Jesus. I don't have to go on some trip, some specialized place to find him. I don't. I remember when uh, Kath and I went to Ecuador. There's the only, there's one flight in each day, and it's at 1.30 in the morning. There's one flight out, and that's at 1.30 in the morning. So we're in there, we get, you know, on, uh, get off the plane, and we got uh, uh, the, what kind of driver was he? Uber, something like that. Anyway, we're in the car with this guy, and he's got this translation thing on his on his radio where I can talk to him on his radio in English and he can talk back to me in Spanish and I, we, can, we, can, we can track with each other. So we're driving and, now, and remember now, this is like 2 in the morning and there was a highway, interstate, kind of like a, a two-lane interstate and I'm looking on the other side of the, of the interstate and there's people lined up along the interstate and I mean not just a few. There's hundreds, thousands of people. I mean, and it goes on for miles. Middle of the night. And I'm thinking, what? So I asked the, 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 the driver, I said, what, what, what's going on with these people? He said, it's a, a certain festival. And there's a shrine that if you get to it on this festival, you can pray and you get your prayer answered. And I'm thinking, I could save you time, I could save you energy, I could save you money, I could save you, I get, you could get your sleep. But see, this, this is what was ingrained in them. This is what they had figured they had to do to get their prayer answered. I don't have to do that. I don't have to, we don't have to have 250, 300, 400, 500 people here for Jesus to show up. When you came through the door, he came with you. Oh, come on. That I'd, I, thought I'd get, I thought I'd get a shout out of that one. When you came through the door, he came with you. So stop and think about that. Do you realize what we have going on here? When every one of us 
brings the Spirit of Christ in here with us? That's a spiritual powder keg. That's a spiritual boom getting ready to go off. Anyway, he is not present. You understand what I'm saying? And this should not be, I shouldn't be giving you guys some big theological thunderbolt there. You bring Christ with you. You take him with you to the grocery store. You take him with you to work. He goes with you wherever you are. He's not present as an emotion. He's not present as an emotion. He's present as a person. Him being here doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't depend on what kind of emotional state I'm in. No. Can you imagine? Well, they're not feeling good today. They're feeling a little down the dumps. I better just stay here, and I better, you know, I better back off, and I better let them have their space. You know, God has no problem at all with, with, with uh, invading our personal space. Holy Spirit has no problem at all with invading our personal space. I'm not going to get through all this. He's not an ideal or a lifestyle, but he's a dynamic force, active and alive in my life. He rules in me, not in the expression of fleshly rules and ordinances, but by the perpetual influence of his continual indwelling presence. You don't do the works to get him there. You do the works because he's there. <laughs> you don't do the works to get him there. You do, the, you do the things you do because he's there. I don't know. I thought that was a pretty good line right there. <laughs> Christ died for us so that he would be able to manifest himself in us and through us. That's why Jesus died. He died so that he could live in us and manifest himself through us. If Jesus saved us just to save us, you know what would happen? We'd give our life to him and we'd say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. And poof, we'd be in heaven. It's serious. That's what would happen. If that was the sole purpose of him to, it's, don't get me wrong, that's the vital, that's, the, you know, there's, there's nothing else but that. But if that's all we were saved for, we just, so we had eternal life, then that's what would happen. We'd get people up here praying for them, and they'd accept Jesus, and pfft, they'd be gone. They would. In fact, there wouldn't be anybody here. Here's the thing, there would not be anybody here to be able to share the message. So that's why God saved us. He saved us to redeem us. Absolutely he did. He saved us to give us eternal life. Absolutely he did. But he also saved us so that he could manifest himself through us and so the world could see what the bride is supposed to be like. He's manifesting, he's manifesting himself through you and I is proof that the gospel works. It is. 
as sorry and as sorry as excuse for a Christian as you think you are, you are proof to the world that the gospel works. You are proof to the world that the blood of Jesus was sufficient and is sufficient to cleanse and to make us a new creation. I'm not going to get any farther than this. The changes in deliverance is the proof that the gospel is truth. It's, it's so, not only can he present us to his father as his bride, but he can present us to the world as his bride. Come on. I, I, we don't think of that aspect of this very often. When we talk about the bride of Christ, we're being prepared and we're being made holy and righteous so that, that we're acceptable to the Father. But we're also being made holy and righteous so we can be presented to the world. This is what the bride is supposed to look like when they look at us. That's a big challenge. Lord, I'm not getting any further than that. I got more to do here, but we'll, we'll, we'll just take off next week with this. But if nothing else, get the understanding this morning that this does not have to remain. These things do. The, 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 the truth and the thought of Christ in you does not have to remain a mystery to you. It's not some dark twilight zone thing, you know. It's not. It's a truth that God wants to reveal to us. It's a truth that, that God wants us to walk in this. He, he desires for us to walk in this. He desires for us to live in this. But we have to come to a place where we're mature enough. How do we get it? You get this on your face and by being in here. That's where you get it. That's where you get the mysteries revealed to you. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.